1: Hey, how's it going? Samson Folk here with the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, of course. And today, a very special guest, one of my favorites for the way that she sees the game, and quite frankly, even better because of how she writes about it. One of my favorite writers to take in, Yasmin Duwala, contributor with Dishes and Dimes Podcast, Yahoo Sports, and Basketball News. Yasmin, how are you doing today?
0: I'm well, I'm well. How are you?
1: Doing quite well. It's kind of interesting to repeat the conversation in the exact same manner as we did <laughs> before we got into the call.
0: Right. I'm not sure what the what the actual, like, practices is. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what's supposed to be done.
1: Right, I've never understood, is this a performance now or is this yeah, a like, genuine conversation? <laughs> Are we having it for the people or is it for ourselves and they end up hearing it? Like, which is it, right?
0: Yeah, they might think I'm rude if I just start talking. <laughs>
1: Cut to the chase. That's the way to do it. Just like our guy Kyle Lowry for the most part. So (laughs) that'll take us into our first question. So in your piece regarding the Raptors record without Lowry, which was maybe more relevant a couple days ago, but, you know, that's the nature of this business. Things come in and out of vogue. You highlighted that the team plays a more relaxed style of basketball, maybe even bordering on complacent. In your research for that piece, did you see any differences in pace or assist percentage in the games where he is and isn't there?
0: Um, I did not check for that. But one thing I did notice is that um, Fred's numbers as like a more pure point guard make more sense (laughs) when Kyle is out. I feel like his assists go up naturally um, since he's kind of forced to um, play a little bit out of his comfort zone. In those cases, um, but yeah, I, I didn't see any stats uh, in regards to assist uh, percentage or pace, in particular. But I would, I feel as though um, their transition scoring might go down without Kyle, since he's really good at those like hit ahead passes, the the quarterback passes. Um, but yeah, that's something to look at. I'm, I'm going to check
1: that out. Okay, so when we're thinking about Fred as a pure point guard. This has been a big year, at least from my viewing of Fred, that he's kind of come around on some of the shortcomings that I've perceived him to have. Obviously, the finishing at the rim isn't completely there yet. You wrote about that earlier in the season, and he did describe himself as a pure point guard, a, a term you just used. What do you think about that position for him? Because I've always been of the mind that, and this is something you know a lot of people appreciate, Robel, for his opinion on the Raptors and different players, a Clay Thompson just removing six inches or so off of his height. And there you have Fred Van Vliet. Obviously, this season, the playmaking has come up quite a bit. Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with his game. Does this shape or change any way you see the future as it you know pertains to Fred, the pure point guard style, anything like that?
0: Um, whether he says he may feel as though he's capable of, you know, being that pure point guard, which he totally could be. Um, but it's, it's pretty clear that his, um, comfort is as a scorer. I think that's when he's really in his groove when he's hitting those back to back shots. And now mm-hmm. he's really, um, expanded his game. He can, uh, incorporate the mid range shot, which I think like can open up so much for him. And I think that will end up having, um, uh, kind of a domino effect where getting to the rim might be easier for him since um, people will be coming up to guard that mid-range shot uh, from Fred and maybe he can get the um, upper hand there. But um, it's clear that he's more comfortable as a scorer. And I agree. I think that his deficiencies as a point guard are like far less noticeable this season than they were in past seasons. Um, I think that he's just... I'm noticing he's holding the ball less, like even if he's not sure what to do, I I think that he's more willing to initiate the next play before he would kind of dribble the air out of the ball, um, trying to create something. But, you know, now I'm seeing him utilize screens, um, trying to find his teammates more often. Uh, He hasn't perfected the pocket pass, but I'm just noticing um, the way he's orchestrating the pick and roll is a little better than I've ever seen it from him. Um, And he gets really creative with it. So I think that's great to see. I think Fred ha- has shown that he has like that capacity to uh, improve um, much like Pascal, like it, it may not be to the most shocking degree. And it kind of, it kind of is to a shocking degree considering what he's come from being undrafted. But um, I think that he can kind of, I think that he's shown me so far this season that perhaps he can become that um, traditional point guard um, in the future, or at least um gain the skills and have those skills in his arsenal. So if he ends up playing in that scoring role more often in the future, he can become um a more um regular point guard, traditional point guard if need be.
1: Yeah. When I think about his game, you brought up the mid-range jumper pulling up. The pull-up jump shot is, you know, it preceded better numbers at the rim for guys like Kyle Lowry, but not only Lowry. But guys like Victor Oladipo, who, despite their immense athleticism, especially early in his career, wasn't shooting well at the rim, as soon as he had way more volume as a pull-up threat, he started shooting much better at the rim. That seems right. like a natural progression in Fred's game. But the, the less natural progression is the one as playmaker because that was never a huge part of his game. Most of his, his assists coming off of drive and kick, but the manipulation rarely went past there. This season, as you say, towing the line between over-dribbling and probing, there's more danger to what he's doing. And that speaks to his progression. As you said, the, the point guard duties have looked better than ever. I'm curious, though, this seems very up your alley, about what you think about players' perception of themselves and where they actually are. And do you think there's anybody else on the Raptors who that is a, you know, a bellwether for what the Raptors are doing game to game. Like Pascal Siakam, for example, last night and, you know, the game before, he's going to the rim more often. Maybe he views himself as, I can get to the rim this game. I feel good. Or earlier in the season, shooting a lot of threes, trying to become a jump shooter, stuff like that. Do you think that's one of the most important intersections is what players view themselves as rather than what they're capable of? That's always been a really intriguing topic to me.
0: Um, I feel like their profession is unique in the sense that they kind of have to be a little like deluded (laughs) in order to, you know, attain what they need to attain and to um, do all of these like fantastical things on the court. I feel like you have to be a little delusional in order to um, reach the heights. You know, Uh, we were talking about it on Raptors group chat last week where um, Kobe Bryant would say that I forgot what the exact quote was, but he used to say as a teenager that he's going to be Michael Jordan, you know? And I feel like it, it, in a sense it's diluted. but if he did not believe that, would he have attained everything that he did? So, you know, when you talk about a player like Fred and you talk about everything that he's kind of overcome in terms of being undrafted, being undersized, um, and just kind of expanding his game over time, he's had to really believe in himself and, um, you know, against all odds against those that, you know, didn't think that he'd be drafted and um, those who didn't think that he was a starting caliber guard those who believe that he's not a traditional point guard I feel like you kind of have to believe it and sometimes it doesn't pan out (laughs) sometimes people don't end up like Kobe Bryant so um you know we're gonna always have those cases where um you know uh I'm trying to think of an example of a player who's not very good but
1: Michael Beasley maybe
0: yeah, maybe Nick Young. I feel like there's a more there's a, I feel like there's a funnier example that I'm just missing right now. I think last year's uh, Terry Rozier. Now I kind of believe it. <laughs> maybe like um, classic Terry Rozier uh, would be a good example of a player who feel uh, he, he used to compare himself to Larry and Conley uh, a couple years ago. But yeah, that, that's that's where my my what my take is on it. I feel like they all have to be a little deluded. They all have to have these kind of grandiose um, beliefs and images of themselves um, in order to kind of become what they are. And whether they fall flat, I don't think it really matters to them.
1: Yeah, Fred is really interesting to me because he clearly has a bevy of self awareness. Just you see how he speaks. Oh, yeah. Any, any, Any conversation that's recorded of him, and one could assume all the ones that aren't recorded, there's just a mass of intelligence and grace in the way he carries himself and the way he sees the world also mixed with a little bit of that bite-sized delusion that you need. So he's an interesting mix because he has the awareness to recognize the holes in his game, but he has the confidence to assume I will eradicate those holes. They will no longer be there. And then he'll make fun of Blake and media when he has a good finishing game and say, I told y'all I can finish something <laughs> like that. It's, it's interesting though, the, what you bring up about Kobe is basically every player who ends up in the NBA for the most part, outside of guys who end up on those all-star AAU teams were the best player on every team they ever played on. And then they come to the NBA and you have to say, okay, ratchet down that confidence in relation to your teammates, but not in relation to yourself. What an interesting gamut to try and do. And uh, you know, even guys like Jimmy Butler, who was never the best player on his team, he ends up in the NBA and people cite his ever-growing ego as well. And that's not me saying anything bad about Jimmy. I think Jimmy is immaculate. He's perfect, but he does have a large ego. He, he does think he is incredible. And you need that, I guess. It's uh, oh, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. And you can kind of see it in the rookie season, that that brief culture shock. <laughs> when you go from an environment where, you know, you're the star... Um, to a league where you're you might not be the top you know 200 player
1: Anthony Edwards yelling yes sir back and forth at Draymond I think
0: yeah (laughs) except him he's like an exception to every rule (laughs) he
1: he is effervescent he exudes confidence that I think might be able to transcend to other people I don't know if he'll end up being a world leader someday or something (laughs) like that but it could it could end up being something okay so A famous quote from you, Yasmin. Few things are guaranteed in life. Death, taxes, and the Toronto Raptors figuring out a way to look as polished and cohesive as possible. Are we finally starting to see the team around the corner into competence? Is this a lost season that will produce wildly inconsistent results regardless of anything, good or bad? How do you feel about your read on the team at this point in the season?
0: Um, I think it's the latter. I think that um, I don't think that they're... Turning a corner. I'm not comfortable saying that yet. Um, I think we, with 20 games in, we kind of see the deficiencies on the team. We see the issues at the center position. Uh, We see the issues that they have with inconsistent um, scoring at the rim. Uh, I feel like there is, I feel like they could really use a, a third playmaker that's like, that has some size, like I'm basically describing Marc Gasol. <laughs> Um but yeah, this is a team that I don't think I think that they have some real holes in the roster. Um but I don't I don't think it would be outrageous to see them you know cobble together some more wins and come out of the season um, among the top six in the Eastern conference. Like I wouldn't be shocked but it wouldn't erase um, the issues with the roster. I feel like they're just missing a piece um, because I, I keep saying this and I kept telling Iman um, the other week that uh, this is a team like where I'm not sure the loss of Sergi Ibaka and Marcus Gasol equates to how bad they've been <laughs> so far. Um, so it's clearly, I feel like it's some sort of outside variable uh, whether it means that it's just impossible for them to find a rhythm playing in Tampa. Um, I don't know what it is, but I, I don't know. I feel as though I can't get a read on this team, which is like strange. Usually um, they start off their seasons extremely well. They broke a lot of records this season with how poor their start was. So yeah, I can't, I can't say anything for sure, but I feel like there are some, um, there are some issues with the roster right now.
1: I am definitely part of the group that thinks Gasol is a big, big part of it. And Gasol is a, a bit of a, a polarizing player. I remember Zarrar on the Raptors Republic account tweeted, why do we, want even, why do we even want Gasol back? And then the Raptors <laughs> Republic group chat, everybody, even Robel chimed in, and he, he's not in there very often. He was like, that's wrong. Why are you saying that? And basically it was everybody saying that. And a couple of weeks ago, somebody, I can't remember who, asserted that Ibaka is better than Gasol. And he very well could be at this point. But I still say, I think I'd rather have Gasol. Now, that's that's a bit spicy, I understand. But (laughs) I really think a guy who's able to corral the back line and orient players in the proper space and gap properly, especially with the Raptors who there's so much rotation in that defense, I think uniquely on that team, it's more important for a guy like that than a guy like Serge Ibaka, who traditionally is going to give you more value. It's it's an interesting thing to lose two guys like that at the same time.
0: And I feel like Boucher has done a really good job at supplementing like mm-hmm. that loss of scoring um, that Serge, you know, had. Serge, his thing was that, that scoring boost, those sudden back-to-back threes, you know, when you're down six or something, mm-hmm. uh, that you just come in clutch with. And I feel like Boucher has mimicked that, like, to a huge degree. He's done so well this season Um, considering what my expectations were. I thought it'd be a huge issue. Um, but I can't wait till he gets in the game nowadays. Um, But it seems that um, we can reach a point in the season where we see Aaron Baines really like just everything click into place for him. Um, Because I I, I used to watch him on the Celtics. I used to watch him on the Suns and he's a really good player. Um, And I feel like he hasn't played to the best of his own abilities, let alone Um, becoming that replacement to Mark. So I feel like as soon as we see him string together multiple uh, great nights, which he has been, you know, in the past few games, um, we'll really see how things uh, pan out. But right now it just feels like there's something missing. So perhaps I was just underestimating, um Gasol's importance um on the defensive end but like to me I feel like I've noticed Gasol's absence on the offensive end uh with his passing and you know that he would act as kind of the connective tissue for the team and I think that's missing right now um but yeah that's what I've noticed
1: yeah the Ibaka thing you said the two back to back threes Ibaka's scoring was rarely piling on to people it always seemed like it fit right into the meat of the game If the other team was going on a run, like it's a 12-2 run without a Baca could very well be 12-6 or 12-8 because Lowry goes to that sweet little pick and pop and he hits a 16-footer at, you know, 51% or whatever, and the Raptors stay afloat. It seems like the Raptors don't really have a player who keeps them afloat this year. Even Kyle has been inconsistent with his ability to score. Last game I think he did a good job of it. And that's not to say Kyle isn't great, because of course he is. It's just the the Raptors are clearly searching for something and Serge and Mark I think bring a lot of value in that way. And as you say, Baines the court mapping that he showed in Boston and Phoenix, I thought was really, really high quality. And that hasn't been the case so far this year. Maybe that comes around and I hope it does. Remains to be seen. Yeah. But he's he's been good I just remember him days
0: like just making creating these open lanes to the rim for um, ball handlers on those past couple teams. And I'm like, Oh, this is a guy who like really understands how to create, you know, advantageous situations for the stars of the team. Cause it's what he's been doing for like a couple years now. So, um, seeing as how he hasn't really found that yet, I think I'm going to give him more time cause he's in a brand new system. And we know that the Raptors play like a very unorthodox style. Um, so I think, I, I think he deserves a little bit of patience, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, it's uh, my take prior to the season was that the defense would be worse, but the offense would be better this year, actually. And, of course, it's been a mixed bag so far. Nobody knows what anything has been. But I thought that Aaron Baines would lead Fred, Kyle, and Pascal to look for their own shot more, and specifically going downhill. That hasn't really been the case and it matches up with Baines not being as spry to jettison himself around the court to set those screens that create a chasm for his ball handler like he did with Devin Booker and Pascal Siakam in particular has not been the same on-ball dynamic player that we've seen. There's other steps he's taken in his game, but the Raptors clearly missing and searching for something. So my take, dead. But as far as roster building, (laughs) there's no doubt that waiting on Giannis kind of hamstrung what the Raptors were trying to do. Dallas and Miami were more proactive than the Raptors, despite their alleged ties to Giannis as well. A four-year point guard was selected, Malachi Flynn, but is being incubated like he was drafted after his freshman season. Standout players like Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman are finding immediate success. They were both drafted after him. And Alex Lynn left the team basically 10 games into the year, ended up joining the Wizards, it kind of makes you wonder, is this the first season or off season where Masai and Bobby might have fumbled a little bit of what they were trying to do? And, you know, it's too early to say with Malachi. Maybe it's too early to say with Baines. But the Len decision, I think in particular, does make you question what they were trying to do with roster building. How do you feel about that whole situation?
0: Yeah, I think it was one thing for their plan with Giannis to fall apart. But I do think that they're... Plan at the center position kind of fell apart too. Um, and then they did, they did their best kind of to, to salvage um, the spot with getting Baines because getting Baines seemed solid in the time. Um, and it could very well be solid. We're only 20 games in. Um, but yeah, I do think that this was an offseason where things didn't quite pan out as they planned to. But I can't say that it was a fumble because they did end up getting Fred and OG on amazing deals. Um, And that the the Raptors technically, you know, have that core group of players locked in. So they have uh, the flexibility and the ability to do what they want. So I do think that in places they did mess up um, or things didn't pan out as they hoped. I don't think that the um, discussions with uh, Serge happened as they wished it would have, from what I understand, because I think that he was kind of um, annoyed at how long they were waiting to see how um, his decision and... Um, whether they were going to have him off the bench for Mark once again. Um, but yeah, so I, it was it was good in a way and it was also it also had its failures,
1: yeah. asset management seemed to be good on the one hand with obviously, if you're going to get o g and Fred at or below market value, especially for extensions or sorry, for longer contracts, then you're setting up, you know, your team to be good. For the foreseeable future, as long as you can continue to build around those pieces, because neither is going to drive winning at a rate that you're getting to, you know, the finals or anything like that. But getting those pieces at or below market value seems like a huge win. Pascal, now in his first year as a Max player, you dubbed him, and I didn't see this anywhere else. In fact, I've never even seen this term anywhere else outside of (laughs) your use of it on Twitter, but a kinetic savant He's been a right. little less yeah, he's been a little less trustworthy this year in his ability to convey his body around the court and get to the spots that he's most comfortable in. What have you made of Pascal? I know you love him dearly. I yeah. me as well. <laughs> and I, I went into, you know, I, I watched like eight hundred and fifty of his shots in a week and I was just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. My biggest takeaway was the post up game looks really good, and that seems like a step in the right direction. But then they played a, teams that played a bunch of zone and that hamstrung them again. And he had to play from the middle of the floor and he was getting pinched in on and he couldn't play make the way he wanted to. What do you make of this season? Because it has been so up and down.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's tough to um, gauge what's going on because so much has happened this off season. Um, but as it stands, I don't think that the Raptors are built in the best way to maximize Pascal. Because I think that, I I feel like, I might be underselling him, I don't know, but I feel as though that he, in in that championship season, he might have been in his best role, just, um, you know, as a number two scorer on a championship squad. Um, I feel as though, um, w- with last season, we kind of saw a peak, the peak in which a team led by Pascal can get to, which is great, like a second round team that's awesome, With with that had a chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, you know, it's not too shabby, but as it stands, I feel like um, there are places in which they can um, improve the team. Um, I would love to see uh, a backcourt player with size or another um, playmaking option on the, among the starters, perhaps Um, maybe it's a skill that OG can further develop to create some more dynamic offense. But as it stands, um, yeah, I agree with what you said. Um, I, do think that even though he has improved in a lot of places over the course of the shorter off season, I do think that his handle um, looks a little uh, weaker, but that could be due to um, conditioning. Cause I do know that um, when you are, when your stamina isn't as great as it usually is, your handle tends to be like the first thing to get sloppy. Um, But yeah, like I see improvements um, in his game and it's, it really sucks that we can't see them in a regular season in Toronto to see whether that will create um, uh, a different vibe for the team. Um, but yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm not too disappointed in him this season. Like I, he hasn't shocked us with another crazy leap, which is I think what we've expected to cut, uh, see from him every off season or every start to the season. Um, but he hasn't been disappointing or anything. I feel like he. Um, I think we're judging him from the standpoint where last season within the first 20 games, I think he was averaging like 27 points or something. He was on an absolute tear. I remember Bill Simmons was like saying he might be the top, he might be a top seven player in the NBA, which I think was kind of setting Pascal up for failure when I look back on it. (laughs) But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. I keep having, I keep having to remind myself that we're only 20 games in
1: small sample size theater, Obviously is in play. It's interesting. You brought up the handle. Sometimes it seems he's dribbling through his palm. It's not, you know, elastic, soft fingers that manipulate the ball from dribble to dribble. It looks like he's pushing from his elbow down through his palm to dribble the ball. And obviously that keeps the... The ball stays within your body that way and is less likely to manipulate defenders because you can't keep it outside of your body to create a larger surface area of what you could do. And in and out dribbles look significantly less dangerous. And Pascal loves in and out dribbles. And the crossover where he got Kenrick Williams when they were playing the Pelicans last year and zoomed into the lane for an end one when he spun off of Ben I actually Simmons. That play. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it is ingrained in my brain like nobody's belief and the handle looked so tight and it's clearly not at that level and i think commenting on somebody's handle is a very niche and specific thing because it's so hard to say from game to game what's happening but i think that is one of the most troubling aspects if you could consider it troubling is that objectively the handle is different I think yeah. a lot of yeah, I think a lot of people would be fine with Pascal's season though, if he was shooting better from three. If he was yeah. around the thirty five percent and, you know, around the same volume of pull ups as he was last year. I think that would affect his driving game as well. And I think less people would be focused on the handle, but it's just missing some tools that he's, you know, previously had, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I think he should. uh, I think I've noticed that he's taking far less threes ever since he's been slumping. Um, I feel like in the preseason and with the first few games of the season, he was really hot from three. And then now he's been uh, slumping from three. And I think that he should continue taking his five to six a game um, to kind of get himself out of that rut. Um, But right now, I think he's just trying to get to that rim (laughs) um, in order to get the points um, because he doesn't feel confident in that shot right now um but yeah we I think that would be the next step for him to if he it feels like the changes he needs to make to his play are so fringe but I feel like it would make a world of difference because he already has that drive as a scorer a lot of players don't have that drive as a scorer um So these French changes can transform a lot for him. Just like when we talk about Fred and we say, um, you know, he needs to improve his mid-range and uh, his um, finishing skills. It's because it would just open up so much uh, for these guys. And we see it already with Fred, with the mid-range shot. These guys are leaving it wide open for him because they don't believe he could make it. Um, But right now he's showing that it's about as reliable as his three-point shot. So it's extremely reliable. Um, So, yeah, I think that... um, these changes for Pascal are just kind of peripheral, um, you know, um, tweaks that he needs to make. Um, And I I think that he'll do it fine. I think he'll do it fine. And I think that um, a regular off season will go a long way with these guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Okay. So Pascal in the rear view mirror, I'd like to talk about the defenders three is what I have dubbed and there's like a thing from the Thor comics. It's extremely nerdy. Although I guess superheroes aren't considered nerdy anymore since they're the most popular thing in the world. Anyway, <laughs> ignore all that. The Defenders <laughs> 3, Stanley Johnson, Yuta and DeAndre Bembry. Bembry, I think, finally coming along. I was expecting Bembry to actually have this type of role this season.
0: Same, he was yeah.
1: buried on the bench and not getting any playing time. And I think now we're finally seeing hey, this is the guy we were expecting. Great feel, really tenacious in one-on-one defense, a hawk in passing lanes, not quite at OG's level, but still very impressive, and has an advanced handle for his position, can finish vertically at the rim, and a work in progress as far as the uh, the three-point jump shot. What What do you make of those three? Is Do you have a favorite so far? I know Yuta is obviously everybody, the love of everybody's life. Oh my life, goodness, yeah. <laughs>
0: It was Stanley Johnson, Yuta, and Bembry. Yeah, among those three, uh, I think my favorite would be Stanley Johnson, um, only because uh, no one had any hope <laughs> for, for what he could potentially um, contribute to the actual uh, what he could contribute to the roster, um, and I, I just love seeing. Um, success stories, or even like, even though it's only been a few games, um, I feel like the changes that we're seeing in his game are super sustainable. Um, and I feel like his ceiling as a player is much higher than the other three, um, because he's um, he's sneakily a, a really good playmaker. And I feel like um, his issue in the past was that he was a bit overexposed, a bit over in over his head and wanted to be like that point forward immediately right off the bat. Um, but here, um, seeing the Raptors minimize his role and seeing him excel in those, within those limitations has been really good. And, you know, as we know with the Raptors, if you're playing well, they don't care about, um, you know, the past or how you done, how, how you were perceived before. If you're playing well, you're going to receive minutes. You're going to be, um, just right up there with the starters in terms of, um, how vital you are to winning day in and day out. So to see, um, Not only has he uh, improved within his role, but just seeing his shooting from the corners look really good is like a game changer for him. (laughs) Um, And then you put on top of that, he's an excellent defender. Um, So, you know, I'm really excited to see that for Stanley Johnson.
1: Stanley, I think, has the most utility because of his ability to play up a position or maybe even two, right? And I still think that DeAndre is probably... I guess we disagree here a little bit, but I think DeAndre is the guy with the highest ceiling because I perceive him to have a little bit of that playmaking bent, an improvisational bent in his game that makes him a good playmaker, the same way you might see from Stanley Johnson. Only Bembry, I think, is a little bit more electric off the dribble. I think Yuta right. is the best defender of the three. And this as is
0: is. As is, he's the best among the three. Period, I feel like. I feel like that guy, like, his IQ on the court, he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And I think we've seen enough that it's not simply coincidence. I think he's just a genius (laughs) like that on the court. Um, And he's been hitting threes. Like, I I can think of so many teams that could use a player just like him.
1: And the three, you know, Stanley is a very low-down, build-from-the-ground-up three-point shot. It's not fluid. But he's been hitting it, and that's good. But Yuta, the bones of a good jump shot are clearly yeah. there. It's, it's not pure, pure, but it's, it's a nice jumper. So you believe that it can work itself into something that's quite consistent. I watched a couple of his games prior with the Memphis Hustle prior to the season just because I wanted to be up to date on him. And then I tweet out, I'd like Yuta to get a roster spot. Everybody says, no, no, no. What about O'Shea, Yuta, whatever, forget this guy. And I was like, guys, I think he's actually good as hell. And if more people had seen him, I like, I don't think my eye test is immaculate. I think I just think people didn't see him. As you say, he's just always in the right spot. Rebounds, closeouts, rotations, sniffing out an opportunity on offense, cutting to the middle, you know, flashing to the ball. It's all there. He no. reads the game at an extremely high level
0: and the way he contests shots without fouling like right at the rim continuously getting that turnover um, either from a block or just disrupting the shot has been insane
1: he's yeah he is he's very very cerebral out on the court i've loved his contribution so far i i hope that he continues to get minutes i think there is an avenue for him to stay in the raptors rotation with the you know the dearth of talent or you know rotation guys behind pascal siakam i think yuta slots in and can share you know by committee the f- extra four p- minutes with Chris Boucher I think that's fun and then the three I like Stanley Johnson I like DeAndre Bembry I hope they usurp the minutes from Terrence Davis because as you noted the Raptors not caring what happens in the past you get minutes obviously that applies to TD so
0: oh god <laughs> yes yeah.
1: I guess but I I've been disappointed that he's gotten more minutes than those three players because I think as far as on the court you I think they've been better so it's a little bit disappointing to oh, see definitely, that definitely yeah it's uh well,
0: I I think it's clear that they're trying to to trade him or something or getting him these I, minutes to get his value up I I think it
1: is do you think I never I, don't know. <laughs> I never know because that is a very that's a fan thing you know I've never ever heard. An executive say we played him for six games and suddenly everybody wanted to trade for this guy. I've never <laughs> heard of that. And I don't was... think they'll
0: explicitly say that, but yeah. I do think that they do. <laughs> I do think that they give minutes. Um, if they know that a player is like a pure scorer or something, or they know that they can get buckets, um, then they have a little bit more substance behind any trade proposals, perhaps, but who knows?
1: Could you imagine just crossing your fingers, hoping that they see Terrence Davis's Relocation 3, but not him just smacking the <laughs> hell out of a spot-up shooter on the other end. They're like, oh, God, I oh hope God. they don't catch it on the watch. Only,
0: new, as we know, they only look at uh, YouTube highlight compilations. So those,
1: yeah, exactly. those
0: never those never uh, show the fouls or the turnovers.
1: The the New York Knicks budget doesn't cover a league pass, so they're just watching, you know, down-to-book yep. videos <laughs> on, on YouTube. <laughs> Is there, um, is there anybody else on the roster who you find extremely intriguing that you've been watching this year?
0: I, I find Malachi intriguing in the sense that um, I'd like to see how he adjusts to the NBA because I remember watching him, like his um, games, his college games, and saying, this is a guy who's not very athletic. He's um, like even Lowry, young Lowry had like bounced to him.
1: Major burst from uh, yeah, Wally. just
0: burst like you know, um kind of just takes you like it knocks the wind out of you, um, but Malachi does not have that kind of first step on defenders. he's more I would just like to see how he adjusts to the nBA because he d- he will never have the physical advantage it seems at the at the at the t- uh for the time being sorry, um so I'd like to see how he um in college he would get a lot of his looks from the, uh, the pick and roll because I feel like it's the only way he could get to the rim and the only way he can um uh, uh, con- contribute on the scoring end so I'd like to see how he to the NBA um I think we've seen flashes of that um of that um his usage of screens and whatnot and always tending to make the right pass um, I haven't seen anything too worrying about decision-making. I have seen some hesitancy about taking guys off the dribble, which I, you know, I, I would just like to see how he adjusts to that. He's going to be a player that we're probably going to be monitoring for a few years, so um, hopefully he'll get a little more run when they find more of a rhythm.
1: Mm-hmm. The intersection of confidence and belief and all that kind of stuff. What what are your real skills? What are you willing to do out on the court? I think Malachi is a good example of that. As you say... The burst is not exceptional by any means. A guy who, in college, used screens to create openings and then, through skill and guile, managed those openings, keeping help side defenders at bay, putting his own primary in jail, and then making his reads from there. The reads, I think, think, are quite good. I think he manipulates passing lanes with his body and with his eyes, and he is risk-averse while still being able to create opportunities. There are some guys, Patrick McCaw, I think is a very risk-averse passer. The way they used him last year, they'd run horns. <clears> they'd have him make the decision at the top, and that was basically it. And then he was just a swing pass guy. Malachi, Fred, I think both of them very risk-averse, and that rarely do they turn the ball over. But there's still some danger to their playmaking. So, And the shooting for Malachi, we have to see if that's real too. And Yeah, you know, it, yeah. It should I should be. I,
0: yeah, it should be. Yeah, I'm not too worried about his slump. I feel like his mechanics are solid, and he was decent in college too. Like, I don't think that's something to worry about. Yeah, at least not now. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you know he should be a good defender. He won Defensive Player of the Year in yeah. a, a conference that isn't remarkable by any means, but <laughs> his point of attack, defense, screen navigation, and team defense all rate pretty highly so far. I yeah. think.
0: Yeah, I think I've noticed the team defense like is he tends to um, contest the drive and stuff, which is not something we see with young players. Like it's not something that Terrence Davis does at all. So um, seeing him like get a hand out there, rotate to the right spots, that's 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 always a good sign.
1: Terrence has been just an absolute disaster as far as like his fouls, his turnover percentage, all just going way up. And it's it has been a roller coaster of a season for him on the court, to say the least. Patrick McCaw, he was, you know, intertwined with TD last year because everybody clamoring for TD minutes over Patrick McCaw. Now this year, McCaw seems to be, he's in rotation. He's coming back into the fold. What do you make of McCaw? Do you think that Nick Nurse's supposed allegiance to Patrick McCaw that many (laughs) fans think exists, do you think that factors in? Do you think he'll have a spot? Or a shot at the rotation once he comes back. Oh,
0: absolutely! First first game I back, he'll be on the court. <laughs> first game back, he's playing like thirty two minutes. He's gonna um, eat at Norm's minutes. He's gonna eat at like TD. We won't see him anymore.
1: Because um, apparently Celtics he kills it in practice.
0: Too? All the practice footage and everything, like Macaws, insane in there. So.
1: You Maybe saw that really open gym something. finger roll, didn't you? Yeah, there was a finger roll from open gym. <laughs> I mean, everyone's like, know. "Oh, that's why." Yeah, you and saw then, him so, like in and out dribble, crossover, yeah. and then just straight to the buck. You're like, guy?
0: And then this I think guy? recently someone leaked footage of like a Matt Thomas uh, three being blocked by um, Harris. <laughs> so that wasn't um, that wasn't a good sign. It's clear. I, I think Nick Nurse really like takes practice to heart. They must have intense practices. Um, so I, I do think that he will be put into the fold pretty quickly. Um, I, I see value in Matt Thomas. I'm sorry. Um, in Pat McCobb, I feel like he'll bring a bit of some playmaking. He tends to make the right decision. He doesn't foul easily. He's a great defender. Um, he does great on, uh, scoring guards, guards with a lot of skills. Um, they, it's really hard to get rid of him because he's so long and he's really quick. Um, I feel like he. I feel like he could be of value immediately. Um, it probably means less Malachi, uh, but yeah, we'll see how it pans out.
1: I think yeah, Macaw. As far as defense, I think his his greatest utility is on scoring guards who are quick and use a lot of screen help. And Macaw, a guy who is always willing to go three quarter court, half court press on a ball handler, and be energetic throughout the whole possession. You know, you can't put Fred on everybody. So having Macaw in there is, is nice from time to time. And I guess you probably can't look at what Stanley has done this year and then say you're not interested in what McCaw might be able to do because there is some overlap in skill. And hopefully, you know, there will be some overlap in application and how they continue to succeed. Right. But I feel like that's the Raptors so far. Do you have any other feelings about the team before we get out of here? And, or do you want to talk about Joel Embiid or something <laughs> like that?
0: <laughs> um, let me think. I, I don't think I have any thoughts left on the team. I do think, um, it'll be worth keeping track of if what of whether they make any changes at the, uh, deadline or before the trade deadline. Um, because I honestly can't get a read. I do not know what they're going to do. Usually you can predict what the Raptors are going to do, uh, do. Um, but I, I haven't been able to get a reading on that. Um, so but I, but I do think whether they do or do not make any changes at the trade deadline will tell us a lot about the future of the team. It'll tell us a lot about um the backcourt. It'll tell us a lot about um their uh timeline in terms of contention or how they p- attempt to enter the fray of the top of the conference once again. Um but yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Um and yeah, Embiid's looking like an MVP candidate.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah. Joel for MVP is that that would be the most fun takeaway from this regular season, I think.
0: That would be great.
1: That's what I'm rooting for him or him or Jokic. And I love that they like each other. Isn't that the cutest (laughs) thing? They're hilarious.
0: Whenever they play, their post games are always so funny.
1: Yeah. uh, They both have the
0: same kind of sense of humor, that hmm. immigrant sense of humor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can't speak to that. You probably know it better. As far as proximity. Okay, so timeline, something you said. Timeline is really interesting for this team because do you want, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, market value, good contracts for OG, for Fred. Do you want to waste years doing other stuff or retooling or whatever or rebuilding, you know, a pseudo rebuild when your guys are on contracts that fit on championship teams, that's an interesting question. So I, I am also very intrigued by what they'll try to do with the trade deadline, if anything. Right. All right, Yasmin. That feels like a podcast. So <laughs> thank you very much. But before you get out of here, uh, the force is yours to plug, plug, plug away.
0: Um, Let me think. Uh, every Friday we have Raptors group chat for Yahoo Sports Canada on their YouTube channel. Um. I write about a piece a week for com, So you can check out my writing there. Um, and yeah, the podcast, Dishes and Dimes, every Sunday. Um, there's an episode uh, today with Noor and Sidra. So I think everyone should check that out. They're great. Um, and that's everything.
1: You don't want anybody to get after some tea? I thought you had some sort of tea adjacent stuff in oh, the Oh, Yeah
0: um that's probably going to be for this spring um Mm. because um with lockdown everything is taking so long to ship like literally about two months to ship (laughs) so that kind of ruined my um launch plans but yeah uh follow me on twitter to check that out (laughs) for the spring
1: (laughs) okay yasmin it's been an absolute blast thank you for coming on
0: thanks for having me
1: okay listener that's it for me that's it for yasmin that's it for you I hope you enjoyed it, but whether you enjoyed it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.
0: Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy, nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.